In this week's Planet Korea, our very final Planet Korea, we return to our occasional series on urbanism with Colin Marshall. And since it is also our final urbanism, our final time with uh, Colin here in the studio, we thought we would uh, do a little reminiscing about the places we've been and try to draw some through lines and some conclusions about what the state of urbanism is here in Korea. At least that's the game plan. Hi, Colin. Hi, Kurt. Glad to be here for the final urbanism segment where we can leave listeners with a way to live their life as an urbanism segment. Tie the living in Seoul. Or if they're visiting. <laughs> Don't just listen to the urbanism. Right. Be the urbanism, my friend. Get out there. We've never wanted you listeners to just listen to us describe Seoul. We've yeah. wanted to encourage you to get out into Seoul because it's something that people forget to do, even if they've lived here all their lives. Mm-hmm. You just get stuck in your neighborhood. Your favorite bars, your favorite restaurants, your workplace. That's right. That's it. Happens everywhere. So this is one of our, it's been a small way of encouraging in our 20 segments, places you can Mm -hmm. see what you can do, how you can explore Seoul and understand it. It is so easy to get into a rut and live next to the most incredible stuff, but you just beat a path to the office and back and uh, to the school and back. And that's it. And and going out and checking out uh, cultural and our architectural things is always this thing that's just around the corner. Oh, you know what? Maybe next weekend. In a way, it's the downside of Seoul's convenience. Good yeah. transit, everything is near you that you need in life. If you mm-hmm. live in a good neighborhood, and there are many good neighborhoods in Seoul, you really don't have to go anywhere mm-hmm. else. Nothing forces you out. How long has it been since you've lived here now? Not long at all. It's been almost three years. It feels like it's been longer because of how long I've been engaged with Korean topics and yeah. been interested in Korean cities and Korean language and things like that. But, you know, I'm still new here. Yeah. Compared to you, well, Kurt, that's pa- for sure. Well, <laughs> you've packed in a lot into your time. And uh, if you just happen to be hearing about Colin Marshall for the very first time, he's the blogger for the LA Review of Books, and he's done a massive podcast series on life in cities around the world. Notebook on cities and culture, right? That's right. And you did about 30 episodes in Seoul. This is going back about four or five years. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's just all kinds of writings on urban life. This is a guy who's obsessed with uh, the concept of a city, the execution of a city. Are you able to draw sweeping conclusions uh, about your urban experience in Seoul? So far, I realized that so much of it still lies undiscovered. Mm. I discover not whole Dong that I haven't seen before, but whole Gu I've never set foot mm-hmm. in still, these larger regions. And it makes me realize that you, you really, you need to keep yourself motivated to explore. No matter how much you think you're seeing of Seoul, there's always more to see and always another way to see it, always a way to get fresh eyes on it. You know, bringing people who are visiting mm-hmm. Korea, I have some friends visiting now from America, showing them Seoul and what I consider to be My version of Seoul, that always expands it. They see new things, and, you know, you're out late enough at night. Mm -hmm. You find spontaneous reasons to go new places and to look at things in a slightly altered fashion. Seoul, I always tell people, it's it's a city that is a little different from, say, the Hong Kongs and Parises and Singapores of the world, because you get right off the plane and you fall instantly into infatuation with those cities because they're so either so aesthetically beautiful or there's this just vibe of the city that is immediately accessible, almost like plugging into an outlet. Whereas Seoul, it's not immediately apparent. But if you invest a little bit of time and energy in sort of exploring it, um, it is almost possible to develop a deeper relationship with it than sort of the the, the, the excitement of being in one of the quote-unquote great cities of the world, right? It is true. People assume that even long-time Solites can assume there's quote-unquote 
nothing here when mm-hmm. in fact you know that's not true the moment you st- set foot here but you might not know how to get to what mm-hmm. is here well and it changes so fast. i remember when i when i first got placed in seoul uh I, it was l- very late 2004 beginning of 2005 i was moving from hong kong mm-hmm. and i remember thinking as i moved around seoul What a plain city, you know, <laughs> compared to, you know, Hong Kong, it's plain just Jane. devastatingly beautiful views and you can smell the food everywhere you go and bloody blah, blah. It's like Asia in your face, right? <laughs> Korea, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of utilitarian, blocky um, architecture and stuff, a lot of pragmatism. But even in these short, what is it, uh, 10 to 13 years that I've been in and out of Seoul, uh, It has metamorphosized so much. New generations have come into place. The gentrification that we constantly talk about <laughs> has happened, uh, I mean, literally overnight in, in historical terms. It has. You take two weeks away, things change in Seoul. Mm. And think about the span of time since you got here. I never saw Seoul in 2004 when you were first here. I don't know if I would recognize it yeah. if I saw it in 2004. Well, i k s o n d o which we talked about once upon a time, Uh, now one of the hottest spots of the city was a bunch of padlocked, dusty <laughs> hanoks. Just, Did you ever uh, step foot in there? No, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't really my vibe back then. I was a radio correspondent, and I was just kind of doing the path to the bureau and path to the bureau back. m u l a i d o n g that we visited. m u l a i d o n g would have been nothing more than, uh, you know, guys sawing aluminum sheets. And right, there are still those guys sawing the sheets, but now they're accompanied by a whole new generation of mm-hmm. coffee makers and ukulele players and folks like that that we encountered when we went there. Yeah. I'm really glad we were ambitious about getting out there and really pounding the pavement and field recording so many of our conversations together, you know, um, because there's no substitute, even if it is just over an audio medium for actually being there. For hearing the metal being sawed (laughs) on the sidewalk in Mouledon. And there's something, you know, they call it theater of the mind. You know, you and I went to an abandoned um, amusement park. Was it Yongmaland? Yongmaland, yes. That was The time forgot. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, got into the bumper cars and now it's basically just a big Instagram studio. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes, Instagram is very important. Many of the destinations we've gone to, they've become... Instagram locations, of course, a place like the 63 building, the first skyscraper in Seoul and thus Korea, and the first place we went to on the urbanism segments, people... People still take the photos. They take their selka standing, on the, standing at the windows with Seoul down below them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of the default use now for an urban space in Seoul. First come the Instagrammers, then everybody finds out about it that That's way. It. And then they come... Instagram themselves, and then and so on and so on. Then they discover other things besides backgrounds, cool backgrounds to shoot their own photo on. You know, social media sharing used to be like uh, sort of earrings or bracelets. You know, you can have them or you can not have them. They're accessories. Whereas nowadays, your modern urban attraction uh, builder, um, installation maker, thinks of them first. They think of them first, and that's... One aspect of this I've especially liked, this urbanism segment, is when you look on social media, you see visual representations of all kinds of places in Seoul. Here, we've been able to hear them. That's right. That's right. And to move through them, you know, uh, the the term is, I think, sound seeing, right? Mm. Um, Is that an industry term? Well, you know, it's kind of, you know, the uh, it was an early podcasting term Uh where it'd be like, you know, I'm going to take you on a sound seeing walk through this or that. And it's very much kind of the the vibe of what we've done. Um, Sometimes when there's not a lot of uh, sound going on in a place. 
you know, like Iksandong during uh, the transition or, you know, Muledong during the sundown when um, nobody's doing the industrial work and all of the other sort of cafe lights are just coming up. You kind of have to talk your way through it, right? You do. This is what we're seeing and this is the significance of that. Um, And it's been, for me, kind of a path of discovery to, to have you on hand with your set of expertise and to just kind of tease out of a given location um, what it means contextually. Is there any place you've particularly, that has particularly surprised you we visited here in Seoul that you didn't know was here that you, or that we looked at in a way you'd never looked at before, a place that comes to mind when you think, oh, I don't know if I would have sort of thought about this part of Seoul in this way if we hadn't done an urbanism segment about it? Well, uh, there's a couple like that. Um, I had, in all my years, I had never been up to the top of the 63 building when we went. Um, and um, the, the stuff we talked about in terms of the 63 building being the crown jewel in uh, Korea's emergence around the 88. The gold tooth, as it were. The gold tooth around the 88 Olympics and being like, not only are we hosting the Olympics, but look at that building. <laughs> look at this bling. You know, <laughs> we got bling. And... Um, the Kyungi Line Forest Park never never did yes. that. Uh, Seyun Sangha, uh, which is our I think our most recent excursion. Yes, um, I you know uh, basically a an electronics warehouse that is trying to reinvent itself. It's like a microcosm for for Seoul itself, balancing gentrification with tradition and trying to emerge into something that uh, remains itself but is new. And now the Instagrammers have certainly come. Just the other night, I ran into one of your producers on this show here at Seon Sangha, and we were among dozens and dozens of people with Selka and Selka Bong and uh, big DSLR cameras, Mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. They had discovered it. Yeah, I'm not saying like, we caused the, that, but we I probably saw, did. <laughs> we have a certain on-the-move kind of person, and um, I saw her. She was doing uh, live uh, updates, and I was like, where's the party? Why didn't anybody tell me? <laughs> Noryangjin we went to. The fish market. The Noryangjin, fish market. which is now, I believe, entirely moved to the new building. When oh, we really? went, it was one foot in the old, one foot in the new. It might, it's probably entirely moved now. That was over a year ago, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. But you can still, of course, get a fish cut up right there and served to you. As I recall, the chef fed us directly. We, he just, we, we literally ate out of his hands. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the salmon, I think. Yes. Yeah. And Boy. he had little bits for us right there. If only radio could convey taste. Oh, so good. I, I'm a huge fan of raw fish. And I suppose some will find it barbaric, but there's something incredibly f- amazing and fresh about being hand-fed a piece of fish that approximately 2.5 minutes ago was swimming in a tank. Or less. 2.5, that's old. That's, that's not <laughs> that's fresh at like all. like yesterday. Yeah. Um, so uh, they have moved from the, uh, the old section? Well, it's a good reason to go back in mm. life. Right? Mm. Listeners, check it out. Go to, go to Noryangjin. Mm. First learn how to pronounce properly Noryangjin, then go and see how much transition they've made. I think it might be complete. There might be some hangers-on in the old building, mm. but this is why it's worth checking up on the places we've gone. If someone comes to visit Seoul or Korea for the first time, is there a place that we've gone to on the urbanism segments that comes to mind? Oh, Noryangjin, for sure. That's number one. And Solo. And Solo is so yes. easy because it's right in the middle of everything. And that's the converted freeway overpass by Seoul Station, Solo yeah. 7017. Yeah, and that's cool because uh, if you uh, get out 
from Soul Station and walk over that. That's about a, I don't know, about a 12 to 20 minute experience, depending on how casually you saunter. And then it lets you out right at the sort of foot of Namsan Trails. Mm -hmm. And you can continue that hike for another four hours if you want. You can. And you'll remember what one of the officials said to us on our tour of Solo that we got before it even opened here on Korea Escape, which was, this is going to take time to mature. Mm -hmm. Don't judge it right away. Give it a few years. And Mm -hmm. now... Not necessarily of the few years he was talking about have passed, but time is passing. And it's worth returning there to see in in life, listeners, to see what it's like now. How are people using it? Pay attention to what people are doing with a place like Solo. And everybody I take there is very impressed by it, but it's always the first time they've seen it. It's a little bit like Cheonggaecheon, because I was here as Cheonggaecheon was coming into existence. The famous stream through downtown. The stream through downtown Gwangwamun, and uh, they were just kind of bulldozing and jackhammering the final uh, cement, you know, chunks out of that and uh, making it into a stream. And I remember it must have come into real existence around, what, 2006-ish, 5? 2005, uh, I believe, yeah. 2005, right about when I got here. And I remember getting into that for the first time, going down the stairs, And I said, what a, what a plain little thing. It was literally just a trickle of water and a walking space on either side. And now, years later, you go back and it's like the Garden of Eden, you know? Right. Things have grown in. There's an ecosystem. It's like it's always been there. It's like it, yeah, and it, 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 it's natural. And it feels, you know, um, like this is one of the great attractions of the city. At that point in time, It was sort of a ditch. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a ditch. It was water running through a ditch. And, uh, you know, better than having concrete, right. to be sure. But nothing like the splendor that is there now. In the span of just about a decade, from a ditch to one of the great urban attractions, one that other cities around the world, mm-hmm. Asia, the West, wherever, look to as an example. Mm-hmm. Could we do this here? And Seoul did that. did that kind of thing first. There's not much of a precedent for that scale, that type of operation, take down a freeway and... take a historical example of what was there before the stream and build something new that is a public space. I was taking some friends from Hong Kong to that uh, to the Cheonggaecheon and to Seonsanga, the new rooftop, the Seone Oksang, or Sole Oksang, colloquially. And they were amazed. They said, in Hong Kong, there'd be no public space like this. Mm. It would be full of... Be, there would need to be specific brands of coffee shops, specific brands of restaurants. And Seoul is no stranger to coffee shops. Mm. Of course, we mm. know that. But they said they were just amazed. There would be no such space, just a space to walk through, like the Cheonggaecheon, just a space to hang out on, like uh, the top of Seonsanga. They just couldn't believe that these spaces existed. And I can't Hong believe Kong. there's not some fast food restaurant exactly. or chain coffee retailer here. You lived in Hong Kong. Is this uh-huh. a familiar sentiment? This, this couldn't be in Hong Kong. I mean, Hong Kong is seen as so urbanistically advanced. And yes. in many ways, it's very, very advanced. But they just were shocked to see these spaces made for enjoyment, made for the enjoyment of people who go there. You've got a few things. You've got, in Hong Kong, you've got uh, a few absolutely mind-blowing parks um, mm. and uh, zoos and things like that that are easily accessible. Um, and you've got some pathways that you can, you know, I used to love my walk to work. I would go through a couple of uh, beautiful parks. So, you know, there, there is beauty to be had, um, but it is very infused in a lot of places with um, either small business or 
uh, corporate business and, and things like that. One of the things I like about Seoul is, you know, we've talked about this random senseless acts of beautification. Yes, know? a very 21st century Seoul phenomenon. Yeah, and you're seeing more and more of it. I mean, you, the, the Chungaejeon, they're even studying the climate effects that it has in terms of cooling the city uh, half a degree or whatever it is. And there is something psychological. When you input little uh, psychological changes about where people can go to get a moment of relaxation or how they can possibly commute by foot, you know, uh, the Darungi is another prime example. The bike share system, yes. The bike share system here in Seoul. You change your commute from that stressful thing where you're bumping elbows with everybody to getting off a few stops earlier and having a glorious little 10-minute bike ride And you have just literally changed the psychological makeup of your day. Maybe you've lowered your blood pressure a little bit. And these are all the things that we want to keep in mind, not to take for granted, but in a way we want to get used to them so that they become expectations. We want to, at least I want to, uh, live in cities where, live in a city where these kinds of features like the Tarangi Bagshare, places like the Chonggaejeon, places like Seonsanga are expectations. You expect them to be there. And in a way, you know, when they become expectations in Seoul, it doesn't take long in Korea for a novelty to become an expectation. Mm -hmm. There could be a big influence on other cities. Someone could come from Los Angeles, where I moved from, or somewhere on the east coast of America, where you're from, or anywhere else, Australia, the rest of Asia, any city in the world, they they can see how this works if they come here. And uh, the fact that it'll be so contrary to many of their expectations, as you know, people come to Seoul with no expectations, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or expecting uh, there to be very little of interest, that surprise itself might show them, oh, this can be, these can be not just novelties, yeah. but real built-in features of our cities that people expect to have. Uh, yeah, it's part of the baseline expectation. What a good way to put it. If I were a billionaire philanthropist, uh, Colin, I would gather mayors of major cities and governors of states from the United States treat them to an all-expense-paid week in Seoul, complete with daily seminars on uh, how they, you know, choose to make investment decisions right. and how they, how they go about infrastructure. Because we have in the United States an infrastructure crisis yes. that reflects political paralysis, right? Uh, here, it seems to me there's a better consensus about infrastructure, you know? Even if you're at each other's throats about, uh, you know... Uh, this or that scandal, right? we can still agree to spend a billion dollars on a transportation hub in Gangnam, for example. It's true, and it's, it's changing in subtle ways, ways that you might not be able to see right away. The, the consensus about whether to build big things or whether to revitalize older, smaller things has, has tilted toward the latter. But in a way that there doesn't seem to be the kind of paralyzing conflict you see in America. There's conflict, mm. plenty of conflict in Seoul as any city, but mm-hmm. it doesn't stop it doesn't stop impressive things from happening. Whereas when's the last time something new in an American city impressed you? I mean, there's the High Line in yeah. Manhattan, which uh, Solo is often compared to, or there's you know, certain transit developments in Los Angeles, uh, where I come from, but they're just impressive because they exist. They're not yeah. impressive in and, of the, in and of themselves. But here, people are impressed by the Chonggaejeon itself, yeah. or even by the new Nodangjin itself, or by uh, the Gyeonggilan Forest Park, which stretches across so much of the city. Yeah. They don't see this combination of features in other cities. Build me a KTX from Boston to New York in two hours. and uh, Good luck with that, my yeah. friend. Uh, I mean, you alluded to the small is beautiful kind of concept, um, which I think is one of the future urbanization trends 
that we might think about, you know, the sort of de-chebolization, should we say, or the <laughs> de-ultra-centrification of economic might and wealth as uh, these new generations uh, start to find that the usual social contract is not as airtight as it used to be, that lifetime employment may not necessarily be coming with the huge conglomerate of choice. And therefore, you got to make something smaller, like a small to medium business or a restaurant or something like that. More and more personality is getting infused into small nooks and crannies. And even in smaller cities, non-Seoul cities, this gets often written about these days, but it's not really worth it. It's not worth the term exodus, but there has been a certain migration of younger people from Seoul to smaller cities around the rest of the country, bringing that kind of vibe out, seeing how it works in a Jeonju or a Daegu, or even a, a fairly large second city like Busan. Uh, that's that sensibility is is reaching the rest of the country as well. So not just Seoul, but not just what happens in Seoul, but what happens in other Korean cities is going to be something for me to watch. I try to get to other cities more and more these days, but you really have to, you know, Seoul is a vortex. It keeps you in. Is As you have to plan, as you have to give yourself the incentive to explore Seoul, you have to give yourself the incentive to get out of Seoul as well. You really do have to push yourself. There is an escape velocity that you need. You need something like a target. You need you to, a festival. I'm going to Busan because there's Biff. Yes, you know? yes. And <laughs> you're going just, to a coffee festival soon, I hear, outside Seoul. Yes, something like that. Still working on that plan. But, but that's the kind uh, of thing. I, I the love thing. the idea. Uh, October, we've just been talking about that. October is crazy with festivals mm-hmm. and things like that. So this is the month that you have a perfect excuse to, to get around. But uh, I love the notion of a younger generation that partially out of necessity and maybe a pinch of desperation. <laughs> you need that. Is, um, you know, going out and building crazy things, starting businesses in remote areas, cultural attractions in other areas, craft beer breweries, that kind of stuff, and sort of building it. And then they will come kind of um, attracting some of the obsessive attention out of Seoul and to the periphery. And this is something I don't see as much of in America, where you see the build-it-and-they-will-come sensibility on the part of huge players, people or corporations with a lot of money to just put something down and see if something's going to work in a central city somewhere in America. Here, you see people with, they have just enough money to start their coffee shop, mm. to start their uh, checkbang, their bookstore, to start what have you. And they just sort of started. There is that entrepreneurial, that kind of entrepreneurial spirit here where mm-hmm. it's like, I just want to try to run a business for a bit, roll the dice, see what happens. In America, it's a much bigger gamble. Yeah. And that stops people from just trying things. It helps. Uh, it's to the advantage of the j equivalent of America, the big corporations. They build huge developments. They build big stores in central cities here. You know, you find when Iksan-dong transitioned to get, if, if you like, more gentrified, it wasn't the j who are building stores in there. No. It was, it's, right. It still is, just uh, smaller players. It's empowered, private, uh, young uh, people taking risks. Right. Um, and if you provide the resources for them, they will uh, step up to the occasion. So I look forward to the uh, evolution of Seoul's urban landscape in terms of devolving central power structures and creating more and more color uh, in small ways 
in areas that have gone overlooked. I think that is a central theme of what we've done over these uh, Is it years? Is it years? <laughs> it's been, I don't know. It's been about 20 episodes, so it's it could be coming lot. up on two years. Yeah. All right. And we're going to keep going, whether uh, listeners are listening out there or not. We're going to keep exploring. <laughs> we'll be exploring. We hope the listeners are, too. <laughs> we'll figure out a platform. Colin, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for these uh, episodes of Urbanism here on Koreascape. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Kurt. We'll see you all out on the streets of Seoul. <laughs>